I'm so glad that we could hook up together in the building this morning and be here. I love being in this place with you guys. Most of you look really great today. The, the rest of you, well, I'm glad you're here still. It's good that you came. Hey, our church, I sometimes think about this and wonder, our church is kind of known for our, you know, kind of lack of a dress code here, right? A lot of us come here in shorts and t-shirts, which I, I personally love. I got to be honest, I really do. But if that's what we wear in the building, I started wondering a lot, what are you guys wearing online? You know, like, <laughs> do you even get out of your pajamas? <laughs> you know, like, are you sitting on the beach somewhere just in a bathing suit? And I still, I started wondering, like, maybe I could have people post that in the comments section that are joining us online. And then I thought how weird and creepy that was that I just was, <laughs> I was like, uh, all right, let's just move on. Let's get, it got weird really fast there. Um, if you are visiting or you're new to River Ridge here, my name is Blair, and I'm a pastor here. Really, I am. Uh, <laughs> I spend most of my time actually thinking about discipleship or more specifically in our home groups or our Ridge Group world. I think about this a lot. It's the place I want to be at. And every once in a while I get an opportunity on a Sunday morning to come and speak and to teach here on a Sunday morning, which is a, a fun experience for me. Uh, maybe not necessarily for you, but it is for me. So I'm glad that I get these kind of opportunities. But you get, you're right in the middle of a 10-week summer series. This is a really interesting place for you to come if you're joining us for the first time. Because I am the sixth different teacher that's come up in the last six weeks here in the middle of our summer series. We even had a couple of different people come up from our sister campus in Charleston over the last couple of weeks. And so it's been really, really awesome. The name of our summer series is actually called The Other 316s. You know, uh, it, John 3.16 is the most famous verse in all the Bible, and, and rightfully so. It actually lays out the entire message of Christianity, all compacted in a single, single verse. Well, here, check it out real quick. See what this says. If you don't know, it says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I am sure that we could spend the next 10 weeks alone. Like we could take it a whole summer series of 10 weeks and talk about John 3.16 by itself and we would never get all the incredibleness that's inside of this one verse out of it even in, in, in 10 weeks. As a follower of Jesus, I never grow tired, ever, ever, ever grow tired of talking about what God did for me and what God did for the world and so we could spend tons of time talking about that. It really is an amazing verse, and it's famous for that reason. But as we got to talking about it one day, we started wondering with, with each other and said, what are some of the other 316s about? Like, what are some of the other 316s that we see in the Bible? And so this series came out of that, the other 316s. Uh, if you haven't been able to catch one of the weeks for whatever reason, the whole series has been really challenging, encouraging, and incredible teachings from all the guys who have spoke before me. Um, so if you get a chance and you, haven't, and you missed one of them, go back, listen, watch it, see what you miss, and, and check it out because they've been really great for sure. Um, this morning we're going to be actually, we're going to look at um, the book of Daniel. Anyone know what verse we're going to be in? Yeah. All right. 
316, right? Boom. Just like that, man. You guys are amazing. Nobody answered. You just laughed at me. Like, but all right, whatever. Uh, so if you guys want to turn in your Bibles, if you have them with you, and I'd love for you to always bring that with you because it's awesome. Um, so if you want to turn into Daniel 3, that's where we're going we're to be this morning. Uh, and be, while you're turning there and you're flipping over the passage before we get a chance to read it, let me pray for us this morning. God, I thank you so much for this time to be together in the house. I thank you for this opportunity that we can connect with one another, but we can connect with you, God. We pray that your word, which you gave to us in order to challenge and encourage us and to show us the path, would come alive to us this morning. We pray that as you speak through your word, God, that it would change our lives and mark us in a new way and in a different way. And that today would not be just like any other day, but it would be a day where we meet with you, God, and you change our hearts and we go out and we're different as a result of it. I pray that you would do great things in our lives this week, and as we start and kick off this Sunday morning, God, I just pray that your word would come alive and that it would enrich each of us. Thank you for the love and the which way you love us each and every day. Amen. All right, so we're going to read Daniel 3.16, and here's what it says. Shadrach, Meshach, well, actually it's Shadrach, I think it should be something to sound like that, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Hey, some of the 316s, if you've been here, have been kind of a little bit like, eh, it was kind of a weird verse, but this one I think is really pretty incredible. Like it's, it's, it's almost like a cliffhanger in reverse here. And so when I see this first, though, the, the first question that comes to my mind is like, who are the parents that named their kids these names? Like, honestly, like Nebuchadnezzar, that dude would have never made it out of middle school where I came from. I am sure, like, at some point, like, he's shortening his name, and he said, I'll be Chad from here on out, you know? Like, uh, and Dad's like, but it's a great name, Nebuchadnezzar, you know? It's great. And he's like, Dad, you just don't understand, man. The bullies, they're tough. But after I got past all those weird names that I was seeing there, I'd be stuck with this last half of it. We have no need to answer you in this matter. Right. what matter like like why do you not have to answer to the king what's the matter that you don't have to answer and I was like what's going on here and so in order for us to figure out what's going on here we got to get some backstory and so I'm going to take like 30 seconds to catch you up on like a hundred years worth of time here so this is obviously a very brief little synopsis here but let me try to catch this up real quick all right so over the last bunch of decades Babylon has risen to, the super, to become the superpower that's of the day. They've been conquering providence after providence and taking over control of country after country and continually growing their empire to where now it is the center of the entire world. Included in that was the country of Jerusalem, which was the home of the Jews, which are God's chosen people after Babylon would actually conquer one of these areas, they would incorporate the people into their empire. The brightest and smartest of each of the countries would be sent off to what was essentially Babylon University, where they would go and find out all kinds of new information, and they would learn and, and grow, and they would get vast amounts of stuff that they were taught into them. The highest-ranking people coming out of the university would essentially be given the most important jobs. They'd be given jobs that were, that were the officials leading different providences and different parts of the area, and the king would set them up and assign them in places for his new empire. 
Included in that list were these three weird named guys that we saw up here a second ago, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who uh, the king had made officials. Now, there was a period of time when King really weird named there, Nebuchadnezzar, decided he wanted to unite this whole great empire that he had. He wanted to bring them all together. And so he built this thing. He, he built this, it, it was like a, like a statue. Well, well, actually, I'm sure he had somebody else build it for him. But he had this statue built. Now, if you can imagine the size of this thing, all right? So 90 feet. Now, if you're thinking in feet, and I'm like, what does 90 feet look like? Imagine a seven- or eight-story building, right? 90 feet, seven-, eight-story building. And it was like nine feet wide, which is like this, and then maybe like a little bit more over here. So over there to over there but it was 90 feet high and it was made of gold it was an incredibly costly and humongous structure that he built then he ordered every official in his entire empire to come to the dedication of this thing that would be a beacon of his greatness so there are like tens of thousands of people circled around this image because that's how big the empire was and they're circled around this big huge statue of something here trying to figure out what's going on now we're going to pick up in verse four and this is what it says there and the herald proclaimed aloud you are commanded O peoples nations and languages that when you hear the sound of the horn the pipe the lyre the trigon, harp, bagpipe, and everything. I, I'm not really used to knowing what are the old musical instruments, so I have no idea. So from now on, that's going to be called the band. And you are to fall down every time they and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. Okay, so all the people from all over in the empire make their way in front of this image, and they're standing there. Then this proclamation is made that when the band starts playing, every person must stop what they're doing. They must fall down, and they must worship this idol. And if they don't, then they're going to be incinerated for treason. All right, that seems pretty cut and clear right there, right? Uh, do what I say or die a really painful death. Got it? <laughs> yeah, got it. All right, then verse 7 comes along. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the band, the music, all the peoples, nations, languages, bowed down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, when I heard this story as a kid, uh, I, I just thought how completely wacko this king was, really. Like, those are the first things that I thought of, actually. I'm like, why in the world did this king waste so much time and money building a big old statue and then tell all these people just to bow down to it? Like, like what is that even, why? Like, what, what's the point of that? How insanely egotistical does someone have to be that they say, this is what we're going to spend all of our time on, we're going to build this thing, everybody's going to come here, and we're going to do this. And why would anyone actually worship a big piece of metal? Like, that one's always confused me as well. Like, I really didn't understand that. How in the world could this king even maintain power? I mean, like, why would all these people follow? If, if someone even is powerful, there's limits to their power in which people will follow before a revolt just happens, Right? 
But weirdly enough, this statue actually represented peace. This huge dedication that was going on here was this uh, almost like a unity-building exercise. The whole of the empire came back together, were coming together, and they were being unified together around this symbol. And Nebuchadnezzar was providing them the symbol that said all the people were going to be unity, we're going to be unified together, and here's what we're going to do. Have you ever been in one of those situations where everyone is doing it? Like everyone else bows down to this thing. But have you ever been in one of those situations where everybody is doing it? I've, I've actually heard that line from my kids before, right? Like, uh, how come we have to go to bed so early? Everybody else is out still playing. Everybody else gets to do that but us. Why are we in here doing this? Or you know, why can't I have a phone? You know, like every single kid in my class has a phone. In fact, I think I'm going to be made fun of if I don't get one soon, Dad. Everybody's going to make fun of me. When you get to high school, uh, things, things get elevated a little bit more, right? Like uh, everybody's got a copy of the test, right? It's really not that big of a deal. Everyone's got a copy of it. Everybody is going to these parties, and I don't want to be left out. I can't be left out. Everybody else is doing it. And then it gets really amped up when you go to college or when you get your first job because now no longer are you under mom and dad's watch at all. And now you're out on your own. And everybody from the dorms are going out to do this party now. Everybody in college is experimenting, doing things. Everybody here is doing this. When you go to your job and you, you, you just hear from the people there and they're like, it's just the way the world is, man. It's just the way it goes around here. It's not personal, it's just business, right? It's just business. Personally, I'm not sure I wrestled with as many of them back then as I, I feel like I'm, I'm wrestling with now as a parent. I look around, and it seems like I'm, I'm, I'm just not keeping up with the times as a dad sometimes. Like, I want to be a great dad, but sometimes I look around and I see what other parents are doing. I'm wondering, do I need to catch up and follow suit here? Like, everyone's doing it this way, but I'm still back here doing it this way kind of thing. Or maybe even into retirement. Like, we've saved up this money. Everybody, this is what everybody does. We save up this money so that we can retire and stop working and go off and do everything that we've always wanted to do. Go play golf and spend all our time at the beach and do this. That's what everybody is doing. Well, not everyone is always doing it. Check this out in verse 8 here. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward. And they maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Old Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the band playing and shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the burning fiery furnace. There are a certain group of guys, a certain group of these Jews whom you've appointed over the affairs of the province of, of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are their names. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They don't serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. Man, doesn't everyone just hate Weasley people, right? Like these Weasley brown nosers right here. Listen, there are thousands of people circled around this big old image that's there. Imagine a major college football stadium. I mean, that's the number of people that are surrounded here. 
And there is no way they would have been able to notice three guys not standing with everybody else unless they were watching for it. And I'm sure they were watching for it because they knew about the Jews. They knew that they didn't worship any other gods. This would be the way that we can bring them down. This is how we're going to do it. We're going to catch them in the act. They didn't like how they've been rising up through the ranks. They didn't like how the king had assigned them these great high positions. And so what we're going to do, we're going to catch them in the act. And they go before their king in, in, in their Weasley way, right? You hear, oh, king, live forever. Oh, king, you made a decree. Oh, king, they don't pay attention to you or obey you. Well, they knew what they were doing because it struck a chord with the king. And in verse 13, it tells us, then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready... When you hear the sound of the horn and the band and the rest of it play, to fall down and worship what I have done, the image that I have made, well, all right, good. We'll leave it at that. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. Whoa. All right, so you have the most powerful man in the entire world with this incredible furious rage and it is directed right at you he said okay that's enough i'm willing to look, overlook what's already happened all right but we're very serious right now it gets serious from here I almost feel like it's the mom count going right here you know what i mean like you have the count of three to do what i say right now one Two. Then he asked the question, which we've been waiting for since the beginning of the message. You know, the one in which we read earlier that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, hey, king, we don't have any, we don't have any need to answer you in this matter. Because the king said, and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? See, up until this moment, they hadn't been put in this place. They were successful in the Babylonian Empire. They were here at the dedication because of the fact that they were important people. They were important enough to even be there. They didn't really have to choose between succeeding in Babylon and being one of God's people. It hadn't been a problem, but now it was. See, the situation right here is one of those that we, we, we know as a gut check moment. The king has all the power in the world and he's right here in the room and who's the guy that's going to rescue you out of my hands oh king we have no need to answer you in that matter listen if this is the way it's going to be played out if this is the way it's going to go down if this be so if this is what's going to happen our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image 
that you've set up. Amen. Our God can do it, they said, and we're pretty confident that he will do it. He'll take us out of your hand right now. But if not, like, uh, this is a place sometimes where we sit, right? Like, this is the place where we're, we, we sometimes wonder. Uh, if, if, if he doesn't do it, or maybe even our faith isn't even there, maybe it's more like if he isn't able to do it. Can God even do anything in my particular situation that I'm in right now? If I do what he told me to do, if I follow the directions that he's given me, does he got my back? Does he have me? Is he even willing to get involved in this kind of thing? Even so, but if not, even so, we will not serve your God or bow down to the image that you have laid out. Wow, there's a word that's used to describe guys like this. It's a word called integrity. And these guys got godly integrity. It's insane. Integrity is a really neat word. It actually comes from a math word, the word integer. And the integer stands for a whole number, not fractioned. These guys weren't divided between doing what everyone else was doing and what God called them to be. They were followers of God, period. Now, what's that mean? There are two things that I think we can grab from them that stand out to me about their character. And the first one is this, that they chose to be set apart and not to blend in. Being part of the Israel nation meant that they were God's chosen people. God had set their people apart a long time before this. Their nation will be a light to the rest of the world. The whole rest of the world will know who God was because of these people. And wherever they went and wherever they, whatever they did, they wore God's name tag. They were set apart for him. God gave them actually a list of things to help them in their set-apartness. We know them today as the Ten Commandments. But here's what God said in the very first three of those. First, I am the Lord thy God. That's number one. I'm the God, you're my people, you're my people, I'm your God. That's the way it is. That's number one. Number two, no other gods. Now, not, not me plus, not me included in these, no other gods but me. There can't be any other gods but me. That's number two. And number three, no graven images or likenesses. Don't even make anything that kind of like resembles me. Don't try to do that. That's not what this is about. I don't want you thinking you can worship this little idol thing. I don't want you to think you can do that because that's not what it's about. You're going to be different. You're not going to look like anybody else. These commandments and a bunch more guided them on how to be God's people. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had not stopped wearing their God people name tag. Even though everyone else around them were bowing down, they couldn't do that. That crossed the line for them. They could succeed in Babylon, uh, but no matter how far they rose, they were not going to become Babylonian. Their loyalty and their worship was always with Yahweh. So when the band plays, we'll be there. But we'll be standing because we are God's people set apart for him. 
The second thing they did was that they never compromised. I sat there and wondered about their conversations with each other, you know, after the proclamation was made, after the herald came out and said, here's what's going to happen. When the horn plays, you stop what you're doing, you bow down and you worship, or you go into the fire. <laughs> what are we going here? What are we going to do here, guys? <laughs> I don't really know how to get around this one. Um, uh, we can't bow down to this thing, right? That, that, that can't happen. But, I mean, seriously, any of you guys ever seen anyone come out of fire before? Like, uh, anybody anybody heard of anything like that? Anybody seen that? Know anybody? Heard a story about it? Like, what's going to happen if they throw us in the fire? Anybody seen anybody make it out of that situation? I haven't. I don't, I don't, I don't know anyone. I don't, I don't know every single person I know. They don't come back from that one. And if I was in their situation, I think I would bet, I bet I would, uh, I'd be thinking, you know, we can do a whole lot more alive than we can do dead, right? Let's see if we can't work some kind of workaround for what's going on here. Let's see if we can't figure something out. Between the three of us, we've got to be able to come up with something, right? So me and my friends, that's what we would do. We'd be trying to figure out the workaround. All right, what do we do here? What, what, what can we do? We, 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 if, we bow, if we don't bow down, we get thrown in the fire. If we bow down, we go against God. All right, what are some things we could do here? All right, the first thing. Oh, you know what we could do? Here's what's going to happen. Hey, guys, when they start playing the music, how about I accidentally drop my wallet, you know? Like, I'll drop my wallet. All the coins will go flying everybody. We'll all bend down, and we'll pick up our coins, right? Like, and so while everybody else is bowed down, we're picking up our coins. Now, obviously, we don't believe in this image thing. You know, God knows that. We don't care about this thing. It doesn't mean anything to us. But while everybody else is bowing down, we'll, we'll be down so nobody can see us, right? Like, that'll be fine. Or maybe, uh, you know, my sandal's untied here. Let me, <laughs> let me fix this real quick and get that taken care of, you know. Oh, Everybody else down too? I didn't realize. Uh, maybe they don't show up on that day. Like maybe that's the easiest way we get around this. How about we just don't show up? I mean, nobody's going to really notice three guys missing out of the thousands of people that are here. We could probably just get away with it and just not show up. And then the spiritual guy talks. No, no, guys, I got it. I got the plan for us. This one's going to work. This is it. This is the one we want to do right here. All right, when the music plays... We're all going to take a knee, right? Like, we're going to do that. We are going to take a knee. We're even going to bow our heads. Guess what's that? We're going to bow our heads. You know what we're going to do? We're going to pray to the real God now. So, like, and we can even say to God, we can say, God, we know that that thing doesn't mean anything, and you're the only true God. We're just here. Lord, we'll pray. We'll honor. We'll worship God. It'll be like our own little worship service down there, and nobody will know about it, right? That way, that way we, we're there like the king told us to be there, but we're actually not doing what he said. Because you know those Chaldean dudes, you know those Weasley guys are looking for us to fail. I think I'd be looking for the workaround, but I'm not really sure. I don't know anything about, honestly, their conversations. I have no idea. I just know what I would be like in that kind of situation. But what I do know, when the time came, they didn't compromise. They remained standing, and as a result, they stood out. When the heat got turned up and they stood before the king, they didn't compromise then either. No matter what, even if you throw us into the fire, we will not bow down. I regularly wonder how I would handle one of these kind of 
being put in one of these kind of life or death situations for my faith? Like, how would I, what would I respond? Would I, would I cower? Would I compromise? Would I kind of save my life over this? Our opportunities for situations like this to stand out don't usually come in this. We don't usually deal with kind of, you know, bow down to me or, or die kind of situations. They come out in different ways usually for us. For me, one of those ways that I always wanted to stand out, the way I always wanted to look different, one of the things that really was important to me was in the area of gossip, specifically just about talking about people negatively, you know? I think it just does so much damage. I really do. Honestly, I think it's one of the worst things that exists is this idea of standing around just talking bad about someone. But everyone does it, right? Everybody does it. We all, we all have some juicy information that we just want to talk about or even we kind of sometimes put it in prayer, like be praying for that person kind of thing because, you know, they did this. Um, a few years ago, before I came on staff at the church, you know, I, I worked in the world of contracting. Um, I contracted services for other people. And so one of my customers, actually, an important customer, was, was the United States Courts. Um, and more specifically were the judges who were over those courts. They resided over those courts. Now, if you don't re- know this, these are some really powerful men and women. Um, most of them, in my experience, don't abuse it, but when they say something needs to be done, it gets done pretty quick. Well, long story short, we had a project that was scheduled with, with one of the judges, and it wasn't going the way that he liked it. And so he decided he was going to come down and he was going to check in and he was going to come and voice his displeasure about the project. And I will add that there was quite a lot of displeasure, um, quite a lot. Um, And he wanted to get some answers. And when he got there, he ended up meeting up with one of the supervisors that that was there. And in order for this supervisor to save face, he basically threw my team under the bus. He was like, we did everything right, Judge. We did everything right. It was those guys over there that didn't do what they were supposed to, and as a result, everything's going, going haywire. You can blame those guys. Well, it ended up with that uh, now that the judge knew who to blame, the judge sent an official letter. He sent an official letter to my boss's boss's boss. Now, understand, that's way up there. Like, these are people I don't ever talk to. And an official letter from a judge is a really big deal. It's like termination big deal here. And I'm caught in this situation now where the fire is turned up. I was pretty angry with that supervisor. I really was. And when the subject came up about his actions, I let everybody know what kind of a guy he was. I was telling him about how he was such a liar and how he was such a coward and what a weak supervisor that he would do anything to anyone as long as it didn't hurt him. As long as he could keep going up, it didn't matter. Luckily for me, my boss and, and, and his boss knew the real story, and so I was fine with my job, but I compromised. One friend told me, yeah, but honestly, he deserved it, right? Like, he, he deserved to be told. What if you lost your job? Nobody is going to be looking down on you for for what you did. Nobody is going to think anything of it. That's what anyone would do in that situation. Yeah, that's true. It didn't stand out, did it? It was the same way just about anyone would handle it. 
but not what I wanted to stand for. See, Jesus is teaching to his disciples one day what it was going to mean to be a disciple of his. And he says this, if anyone wishes to come after me, if you want to go where I'm going, if you want to go where, where, where I'm headed, here's what it's going to take. You're going to have to deny yourself and you're going to have to take up your cross daily and then you can follow me. Jesus said, if you're going to come with me, you're going to look way different than everybody else around you. Instead of elevating yourself and protecting yourself, you're actually going to deny yourself. Because to follow me means that you're going to give yourself over to others. When situations come up and you have an opportunity to be good or to be right, good is better. As a follower of Jesus, we wear his name tag. We've laid down our own identity and we've taken on a greater one that's his name. And I bear his name wherever I go. I have no idea whether the people in my situation look down on me or if they think anything negative of me, about me uh, as a result of it. Honestly, they probably don't think anything about it. The truth is it was the common way to handle it. It didn't leave a lasting mark, I'm sure. But as someone who bears the mark of Jesus in their life, I want those situations to have a lasting mark. If I wouldn't have compromised, it would have stood out. In the instance when they were placed in it, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were placed with a choice to make, they didn't compromise, but they stood, and as a result, they stood out. As a result of standing out, there'd be consequences for that. The consequences for our three guys was a, was a death sentence. A consequence they were hoping that they didn't have to experience, and I'm sure that they were praying that God would rescue them from it. And it says that they even believed that he was able to and that he could. And I'm not sure if or when their faith faltered in any way. I really don't know about that. But they were actually thrown into this fire. The fire was so hot that it actually burned the people that threw them in. But an incredible thing happened according to Daniel and that the three guys didn't get burned. And you can hear Nebuchadnezzar say, what, what's going on? They aren't burned. What, what, they're walking around in there. What, what is happening? Oh, wait, there's another guy in there. There's a fourth guy in there with them. And that guy looks like the son of God. And God rescues them from this fiery furnace. And it's an incredible story, and I really encourage you, and it's worth going back and spending a whole lot more time reading the rest of it. But what I love most about this rescue plan is that it foreshadows what Jesus did on the cross. God could have rescued them any number of ways. And right before they were with the king, he could have just made them disappear, and that would have been it. He could have rescued them by making it rain for the next 45 days so that they could never even get the fire started. He could have given Nebuchadnezzar a heart attack and then all of a sudden everything goes haywire and they just lose track of it. But instead, he does it by going into the fire with them. And he enters into the fire with, his, with them. God offers another rescue plan for all his people. Not one from a furnace, but one from the consequences of sin. And just like he entered into the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he did with us when Jesus was born. 
He came to this world and he lived among us. He entered into the pain, to the hunger, to the sorrow, to the stress, to the sadness, and he experienced all the things that we deal with. He was tempted. He was beaten. He was given opportunities even to deny the Father, but he didn't. He even prayed right before he went to the cross, Father, if there's any other way to make this happen, can we do that? But no, God, no, Father, not my will, but yours. And he entered into the fire with us, and then through his death on the cross and through his resurrection, he rescued his people. He restored us so that now we can bear his name tag wherever we go. And when we wear his name tag, by the choices we make and the decisions we do, we can either elevate his name so that the people around us know who God really is, or we cannot. Let me pray for us this morning. Father God, you have gone to extremes to come after us and rescue us. You sent your son here that we might be back in a relationship with you, that we can even bear your name tag at all. Father, and now when we go out and we say that we're followers of yours, we wear your name wherever we go, and as a result of it, people will see you truly for who you are, or they will not. God, I pray for us as we go out today. I pray for the choices that we have, the hundreds of times that we have an opportunity to either stand out or to compromise. And I pray that with boldness we will go out and we will wear your name proudly and that we will deny ourselves from this life so that you are elevated and that others know who is really God. Thank you for the ways that you have given us life and restored us into your family. I pray, Father, as we go out that the world would be changed as a result of what you've done in us. We love you, God. Amen.